0: Log Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land.
1: good evening and happy Shabbat to uh, one and all. I learned uh, just a few minutes ago that uh, it wasn't the uh, sarcasm that uh, caused a uproar last week. And by the way, we're going to go over some of the same material this week, but I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, It was because we were blocked by two religious Jews, which is just fine with me because we were broadcasting on the Shabbat. Now you would think as a Jew, since you've got nothing else to do on the Shabbat, we would be conveniencing you. <laughs> you would think that someone, since you yep. speak Hebrew, would recognize that Shabbat is actually a verb. It's actionable. And I can tell you that Yahweh wasn't tired and decided that he was going to take a nap on the, uh, the seventh day. No, what he did is he celebrated the relationship with that which he had created.
0: Yes.
1: And all the way through the, uh, the Torah, particularly on the most important Shabbatons, those special days that are to be treated like the Shabbat, uh, no matter what day of the week they fall. Uh, days like the most important, the days that, well, rabbis must have been sleeping on the Shabbat because they don't celebrate it anymore, but matzah, the mikra of matzah, is a Shabbaton, it is a uh, essential day, esteem, it is a Moed Mikre, it is Kodesh, it is every adjective that Yahweh can throw at a concept. And it is an exceedingly active day. It is the day on the fulfillment of Matzah is when Dod Sol took the guilt of every covenant member with him to Sheol and deposited it there forever unseen, making us appear perfect in Yahweh's eyes. So, if the Shabbat is the day to do nothing, why did Dod, who was called right by Yahweh, take our guilt to Sheol and deposit it there on the Shabbat? Uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, that uh, it is frustrating when uh, dealing with the Judaism, because it is God's single greatest grievance throughout the Torah and Nabi, the Psalms. Uh, it, his disdain for the religion of his people overwhelms any other topic. It is probably 10 to 20 times more irritating to God based upon what he has to say about it and how often he speaks out against it than anything else that his people have done Or are doing. And so until we're able to encourage Yehudim, Jews, Israelites, to discard and disavow their religion, then those who will not have no chance whatsoever of coming to know God. Yahweh will not allow anyone into his presence will not allow anyone into the covenant who continues to be religious. It is a line that he drew in the sand. It is a condition of the covenant. And the very purpose of matzah, chag matzah, is to remove religion and the stench of it from our souls. So if anyone is going to block this program because we're broadcasting on a Shabbat, celebrating our relationship with Yahweh and condemning that which he hates, to call his people home, then it's nothing lost because said individuals are way too religious to perceive or appreciate what God has to offer. Now I want to be clear that while Judaism gets God's goat and his attention more than any other, he hates Judaism more than all other religions because Judaism has harmed more of his people longer than any other doctrine. He does, however, hate Christianity. He calls Paul, who created Christianity, the son of evil, father of lies, and the plague of death, mm-hmm. Dod and Yahweh in particular, along with Yashaya, go to great lengths to condemn Christianity and Paul. And I was deployed by Yahweh 22 years ago, initially on the request that I would expose and condemn Islam because of the horrible menace it has provided to his people. Yahweh doesn't say much about uh, Islam. Um, Allah is occasionally mentioned, but Allah is mentioned because it means a lamentable um, oath, something exceedingly sorrowful. Uh, Muhammad, of course, is never mentioned, but there are times, particularly in end times prophecy, Yashaya 17 and 18, where Yahweh speaks of millions of angry Muslims flooding into Israel after the imposition of the two-state solution uh, so many so that there aren't enough bullets to stop them so there are mentions of the consequence of Islam but uh, otherwise it, uh, it is left up to us to demonstrate that it is demonic and that's what we're going to do again on tonight's show. Uh, as an update, I wrote a book called Prophet of Doom a little over 21 years ago. I started this mission with the Iowa a little over 22 years ago, and I began with a book called uh, Tea with Terrorists about my meeting with Al-Qaeda. About 21 years ago is when I wrote <coughs> Prophet of Doom, and I had not returned to it. Uh, in all of that time, uh, I did have one exceedingly favorable uh, thing happen, though, regarding it. And that is that um, quite recently, uh, well, first of all, I have known from the beginning uh, with Prophet of Doom that the highest readership per capita was in Iran. And I uh, have subsequently learned that... uh, um, over the last year, as polls are taken in Iran, that only about 35% of Iranians now identify as Muslims. And since Prophet Mm -hmm. of Doom* is the only book of its kind, uh, it would be significantly responsible for uh, Iranian Muslims who are Persians and have a legacy of brilliance finally being able to figure it out. One of the reasons that Yahweh did not denounce Islam to the degree that he denounced Christianity and Judaism is that, quite frankly, anyone with two active brain cells ought to be able to figure this out. The Quran is is the worst book ever written. Muhammad was the dumbest, most vile non-profit in human history. So this is not a difficult thing to assail. Now, where I currently am in the rewrite, and it's not being written, rewritten as uh, Prophet of Dome. It's being written, rewritten as Goddamn Religion. Uh, there'll be four volumes. I am within probably 24 hours of finishing volume one. Uh, at this point in Prophet of Dome, this was about page 70. Uh, and in the rewrite, it is page 645. So you might say that Uh, I've added a few thoughts here and there to what was Prophet Abdu'l. The the two primary differences are that, and we're going to enjoy one of those tonight, is that when Allah slash Muhammad go on on a rant regarding their revisionist Torah accounts, there are places now, like in this particular chapter on creation, where I actually share Yahweh's position, so that a reader who is not familiar with it can compare the 2,000-year-old older witness to the verbal diarrhea of the Quran. Uh, the second is that previously, when a hadith uh, referenced a, uh, a Quran surah trying to explain something that otherwise was, had no context, and the, uh, the Quran was just dangling out there uh, so that it could not be understood. I would quote those particular passages. But I have subsequently gone back and I've started at the beginning of most of these uh, Quran surahs and taken it from the beginning all the way to the interesting or the prevalent point and then well beyond it. And the reason I have done this is because nothing undermines Islam better than Islam. The Quran is its own worst enemy. It is literally the worst book ever written. Um, It is comprised principally of what I call the never-ending argument. It's the number one theme in the Quran. It's dominant in the Quran. And the never-ending argument basically says that uh, people don't believe Allah. And they don't believe Muhammad. So um, Allah is here to say that Muhammad's lies are really the truth. And those of you who do not believe Allah, I'm going to torture. And my tortures are going to be uh, grotesque. I'm going to uh, roast you over a fire. I'm going to throw, uh, pour boiling water down your throats. And I'm going to make you eat a thorn tree. Uh, And if you are a, uh, um, what Allah calls a righty, if you're a believer, and he never tells you what you're supposed to believe, other than that Allah is alone is God, and he's got as much chance of that as a snake in the desert, uh, then uh, you are uh, going to be rewarded with what is a brothel. Virginal boys, virginal girls, pedophilic sex, constant conquest, rivers that flow with wine. That is the reward for believing that Allah is God. Now, of course, there is no such reward, and there is no such penalty. Um, Allah is lying through his fangs. But nonetheless, this is what nearly two billion people have been led to believe, and they kill for it. So the purpose of destroying Islam, repudiating the Quran, and mocking the Hadith, Um, lambasting Allah and Muhammad is because their legacy is terror. It's death. It's mutilation. They declared war on the world. And therefore, it is essential that we expose and condemn the myths that laid to it. All right, we're going to begin with with chapter five of of the first volume of Goddamn Religion. It's... um, Um, The volume one is entitled Snake in the Desert. It's Islam's terrorist manifesto. Um, The fifth chapter is entitled Would You Believe? Um, Each chapter begins with a citation from the Quran or Hadith. This one is from Tabadi, uh, book six. It reads, when Allah wants to frighten his slaves, the sun falls out of its chariot. This is a full eclipse, a misfortune for the sun. (laughs) With that treasure, will commence. Oh,
0: since, the,
1: since the Islamic scriptures is based, and I, I'm going to tell you that last time we went over parts of this chapter, I began way after the review of the Torah account. And when we reached the parts that we did cover last week, what I had done in, during this week, is um, I essentially um, quadrupled the the amount of information. So there's a lot more to report. Since the Islamic scripture, and scripture, by the way, is uh, Christians get to have a conniption fit when I say this because you know all scripture is from God, and you know this is this is from one of the uh, yeah one of the poison pens of of Christendom uh, scripture. Uh, is the Latin word for writing, scriptura. It's, it just means to write. Uh, but right. it, it, uh, it has some value when it's applied to a religious text. Uh, God does not have scripture. Yahweh has the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms, his writings. Uh, and so when I use the term scripture, I am specifically dealing with Islamic scripture and Christian scripture, which are the books that they attribute to their God so since the Islamic scripture is based upon stories lifted from the Talmudic interpretations of Genesis and Exodus, we will start at the beginning and review what Muhammad had to say about our Genesis. I would tell you listeners that if you were to remove the never-ending argument which is just a repeat of the theme that I shared earlier. No one believes Allah. No one believes Muhammad. They think that uh, Muhammad was demon-possessed and that he was uh, stealing fables from people of old. Uh, That's what everyone who knew Muhammad best had to say about him. There isn't a single person uh, that's recorded in the Quran who knew Muhammad that had a kind word to say about him. Uh, uh, That uh, If you remove that, and you remove Talmud citations interpreting Genesis and Exodus, which um, Muhammad bought from rabbis in Yathrib and then twisted to suit his agenda. Without those two things, the Quran isn't even as thick as a, uh, as a pamphlet. It wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not sure we would make a good cocktail napkin. That's how much of it disappears. Unreal. So the Torah has but one version. Islam has many. And since the Torah's account preceded Islam's by 2,000 years, we'll review it first. This will be one of several accounts covered from both perspectives. I'd like to set the stage. Yahweh's revelation of our beginning was given to man 3,470 years ago. There were no scientists, or even a word for science. Calculus, the language of astronomical creation, wouldn't be invented for three millennia. The language of life, DNA, was a concept well beyond this time. And I say this to reveal something that should be obvious. The Genesis account, while scientifically accurate, was not intended to teach the children of Yisrael how God made the universe. For them, it was a spiritual explanation of why he created it and us within it. Genesis tells us that the universe and the earth, then plants, animals, and humans, were created in six days, which may strike the casual reader as improbable even though it has been proven accurate. Looking back in time to a period before the perspective of a day or a year here on Earth was a functional measure of time, because quite frankly, the Earth hadn't been created, so there was no measure of a day, which is the time the Earth spends on its uh, axis, or a year, the time it takes the Earth to orbit around the sun, could not have been the time of measure that Yahweh used billions of years before the Earth existed. But nonetheless, we're going to use it to calibrate time. The universe is said to be 14 billion years old. Yes, I know it's 13.8 with the latest calculations, but it's all based on the temperature that quarks are confined from energy to matter, because prior to the existence of matter, time is a concept that simply exists and does not flow. So the Genesis account is told from the perspective of the Creator at the point of creation, and time is relative. It moves more slowly when exposed to great velocity or mass, precisely the conditions experienced during the Big Bang. which is a term first cited in Genesis. Recently, when measuring the cosmic radiation background from the Big Bang, it has been determined that time was stretched by 10 to the 12th power at creation. And when we do the math and divide 14 billion years by 10 to the 12th power, the result is six 24-hour Earth days. Beyond this, the depiction of events is in the correct order and appropriately described. Should these affirmations interest you, as most of our listeners know, you can mm-hmm. read Volume One of by Barishith Begani. Specifically, the Torah's account begins with light, which is energy, then transitions over time to matter as quarks are confined. It presents plants preceding animals and mammals and mankind being made from the same material, evolving from them. Further, God gives credence to microevolution, telling us that each species would produce after their kind. There are some who claim that the fourth day of creation is presented out of order. It's one of the favorites, of atheists, mm-hmm. but such is not the case. The Genesis account only says that the sun and moon became visible. This was the result of Earth's atmosphere becoming translucent at this point in time. Further, these greater and lesser lights have served as signs for the seasons, for days and for years, providing us with the ability to properly date the micray Invitations to meet with God. In particular, <clears throat> the son of God and the Messiah, Dode, David, served to fulfill Pesach and Matzah on behalf of Makutim and Shabua in year 4000 Yah, the fourth day, making the fourth day prophetic. By contrast, most religions turn the sun, the moon, and stars into gods. And that includes mm-hmm. Islam. Allah was a moon god, Quran 74:32 proclaims. I say the truth and call the moon to witness. I will tell you the number of references to the deification of the sun in the Quran are numerous. And throughout the sunnah, the sun is given anthropomorphic qualities. And is shown in a chariot, as you just heard, racing against the moon, only to get weary and go to bed each night in a muddy spring, next to where extraterrestrials are said to have lived. But worry not, because Alexander the Great went to convert them to Islam. (laughs) Yes, better. Yeah, well, by by contrast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, By contrast, wanted us to know that life was more important than things, and that things, even big, bright, shiny things, were not God. Now, mm-hmm. this is also a problem for Islam, because Islam is predicated on turning Abraham into a Muslim. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> Abraham, according to the Islamic accounts, his name is Ibrahim, according to Islam, At uh, a a couple of years old, uh, he emerged from a cave, of course, because Muhammad's first encounter with his spirit friend was in a cave. And the first thing he did is he saw the sun, moon, and stars independently uh, ascend in the sky, and he said to each of them, one at a time, this is my Lord. (laughs) And then when he said, he says, no, that's not my Lord. I don't like things that set. And then after going through this ritual again, and then the, there's a glorious sunrise, Abraham says, now that's my Lord, none of the others, that made him a monotheist, because yep. he turned to the sun as his God, as opposed to including the moon and the stars. <laughs> yes, indeed. So How original. Islam has a problem with this, and we will yep. expose it as we continue. So here are some highlights from Barashit, beginning with the first words recorded in the Torah, which is a handy place to begin a creation account. If you're God and you want to speak about creation, pretty much the best place to put it would be in the beginning, which is what Barashit means. So here's the first words for our consideration. In the beginning, Barashit. At the start of time and the initiation of the process of existence, Rishit, the Almighty Elohim, for accompaniment and association, F, created, conceiving and causing a new existence, Bara, of the spiritual world and the heavens, Ha shamayim and alongside the material realm, Ha Eretz. Barisheath Genesis 1.1. And the material realm existed for a finite period, formless and without shape, lacking organization, a disorderly, chaotic, and empty space, dark, hidden, obscure, and unknowable, in proximity to the presence of the vast, inexhaustible power and inaccessible, mysterious energy of the Big Bang. Then the Spirit, the Ruach, of the Almighty hovered over and quickly administered to supervising the appearance of this fluid state. In addition, God said, let there continuously be light, and light exists. And so the Almighty saw that the association with light was truly good, beneficial, and productive, having desirable and positive qualities that caused the ongoing separation between light and making understanding possible through this connection, the darkness. The Almighty accordingly called out in a welcoming way and proclaimed the continuous nature and approaching light day. And concerning the darkness, concealing and mystifying by way of ignorance and confusion with the absence of light, he called its limited existence night. Then there was evening, a period of darkness, a time of sadness and hopelessness, a discouraged state of foreign occupation, an era of ignorant commingling and the advance to faiths and beliefs. This is from the Hebrew word that can be vocalized as either Arab or Arab. Mm -hmm. And there would be morning, the beginning of a new day, a time to be observant, perceptive and judgmental, a time for consideration, a period to be attentive and respond appropriately. Vokor one day. Yom Ichad Barashib. Light is associated with time. Most people don't know it, but it is the Mm -hmm. measure of time. Mm -hmm. Not only because light defines time, but also because Yahweh's light is the source of enlightenment and life eternal. The absence of light renders us confused and imperfect, separated from God, and thus spiritually unassociated with Yahweh. Without the energy needed to survive, such souls cease to exist. This statement reveals an especially enriching contrast between the imperfect and the perfect conjugation. In the imperfect, light will be associated with Yahweh forever, with the relationship enduring throughout time. In the perfect conjugation, Darkness will only exist for a finite period. God's statement is helpful in that it causes us to question the way we normally consider time. In the order of things, looking at the creation account, it's presented in reverse from the creator's perspective rather than our own. Yahweh has the end of the day preceding the beginning of the day. He's trying to tell us I'm telling you this story from my place at creation, not yours, spinning on the planet some 5 to 15 billion years later. But there's more to it than that. Evening, or the end of the day, is represented by Arab. And that's why, uh, so I should say, is where the fun really begins. The three Hebrew letters which comprise Arab can be rendered five different ways several of which seem appropriate. Bokor, the word rendered as morning or beginning of the day, has several potential meanings as well, all of which seem to fit, which is the benefit of amplified translation, which is why I shared all of the relevant definitions with you. Whether God intended to convey Arab or Arab, the implications go well beyond the evening and day Uh, one of creation. The chosen people have endured a period of darkness, a a time of helplessness and despair of, I guess we could say, biblical proportions. Mm -hmm. Indeed, there have been 25 centuries of foreign occupations in the land of Israel. Christians and Muslims have come to believe an irrational commingling of pagan myths as obnoxious swarms of Arab terrorists have sought to devour the promised land, all derived from Arab and Arab. Bokor is the good news, the promise of a new day, but there would be a brighter future, a, a new beginning for God's people. And today, as was the case in time with Moshe and Dod, we have the opportunity to be observant, to seek the information Yahweh revealed and to decide how to respond. With Bokor, the perceptive and discerning can contemplate the merit of the mikre and make a good decision about God, aware of what he is offering and asking in return. Now, during this time of universal genesis, there would have been no shortage of darkness or light As energy was being transformed into matter, space, and time, everything was mixing together and joining to form this interwoven fabric we call the cosmos. It was as pleasing to God as it is to us. But let us never forget, Rishith is also God's message to us, his pledge of fellowship and his plan of redemption, one in which he explains his undertaking, and exchange, which is our redemption. God said, matter and space, the extended solid support of universal expansion, shall exist in the midst of the fluid conditions and water as a source of inquiry in life. Existing, dividing, and separating between things for the purpose of understanding water in the relationship to this fluid state as a source of inquiry in life. The second day does not chronicle a creative event. According to Yahweh, and confirmed by science, three millennia later, life, matter, or I should say matter, space, and time, were the product of light energy and the result of the Big Bang. Matter and space were derivatives of that which God called into existence on day one by unleashing the appropriate amount of energy during the first interval of time, our solar system was enabled in the second. And as is suggested by this passage, our sun and the earth were literally born in the midst of molecular clouds comprised of hydrogen and water vapor. Yes. The sub millimeter wave astronomy satellite. There's no obvious reason they use acronyms for these things. Recently (laughs) confirmed that water exists in great abundance in the translucent clouds where new stars are being born, as was the case at this moment of creation. This superheated gas plays a major role in the chemistry of molecular clouds. God was, and He remains correct in this depiction. Giant molecular clouds comprise largely of H2 molecules, some a trillion times more massive than our sun, and 150 light years across, imagine that, still serve as the nurseries for star formation. Many of these can be seen with the naked eye in our own galaxy as They cause the patchy appearance of the Milky Way by obscuring the light of the stars behind them. The Hubble Space Telescope photographs of these nebulae are, I think, breathtaking in their beauty, including the Carina, Crab, Horsehead, Eagle, Mystic Mountain, Lagoon, Bubble, Butterfly, Spirograph, Ring, Veil, Hourglass, Ghost, Glowing Eye, Orion, Nebula, and, of course, the Pillars of creation. More recently, we have detected these molecular clouds in distant galaxies in the presence of CO2, carbon monoxide. This is telling because we are carbon-based light forms, and oxygen transforms mm-hmm. molecular hydrogen into H2O. And the densest areas within these molecular clouds collapse from Gravitational effects, they begin to rotate, and this causes, it's the same really effect that causes a figure skater when she spins her in her arms and her legs and brings them in closer, that they begin, uh, as she shrinks in yeah. outbound size, she begins to spin uh, faster, and this flattens mm-hmm. the cloud and concentrates its mass in the center, which then gives birth to a photostar and proto-planets. God continued, the Almighty acted and engaged, expending considerable energy in association with matter and space, the measure of the material within the vastness of the universe, which was expanding. This is, by the way, an interesting concept to compare to Islam. Uh, According to Allah, it's the earth that is flat, and that Allah expanded, but not the the cosmos. According to Yahweh, and, um, and verified by science just recently, it is the universe that is expanding, and that the mm-hmm. earth is not. He divided and separated, making a distinction between relative things and space over an interval of time, from the various forms of water relative to, and in association with, that which is interchanged in an orderly arrangement for the sake and purpose of establishing that which underlies everything regarding the support for matter and the expanse of space. So these are the connections between things and space and over time of this source of inquiry regarding the existence of life among the waters relative to that which is distinct. And yet, in proximity to matter and the expansion of space, thereby it existed correctly, verified and portrayed. Bath, Genesis 1:7. Throughout Yadayawa, the series, which you will find is amplified translations. I think God is really smart, and I think that the words that He chose to use are like an artist's palette where. You can create enormous detail and texture and color and perspective through them. And so with each of them, my goal is to express everything that could be pertinent to that expression. And so we end up with a more amplified translation that is more correctly um, conveying God's intended message. This one that I'm sharing with you now, uh, we actually would not call amplified because I don't have any further definitions in the parenthetical that normally follow the most amplified versions of these uh, texts. God, Elohim, is mentioned once in the presentation of Barashit Genesis 1:7. The concept of relativity, which is brought to us by Asher and Bayan, is presented four times, providing us with a frame of reference. The preparation, production, and composition of rakya, matter and space, and thus the orderly arrangement of it, its sequence, source, and basis, is covered three times. By so doing, Yahweh disclosed which scientific methods humanity would use to develop and appreciate he has created process. Mm-hmm. Then Yahweh called out in an inviting and welcoming way, one of the most important verbs in Hebrew, uh, one pilfered by uh, Muslims, kara. Kara means to call out, to invite, to summon, to welcome, and also to read and recite. And it is the name given to Islam's book, Quran. To the expansion of matter in the vastness of space of the heavens and there was evening a period of darkness the mixing together of an interwoven fabric the commingling and joining together of things and there would be morning the beginning of a new day a time to be observant perceptive and judgmental the second day scientifically our solar system was created during this period it happened in the manner God has testified. Water was present, and it was essential. There was an association between all things because relativity and time are linked. And distancing, the repulsive nature of dark energy, still lies at the very heart of the effects that we can observe. That is why the universe is expanding faster than the rate of time, uh, the rate that, uh, that light moves, which indicates that space itself is being stretched. Spiritually, two is the number uh, denoting choice. The second day is focused on separation, which is Kodesh in Hebrew. We need to decide whose side we want to be on, the side of light or darkness. Covenant relationship with Yahweh, or submission to Allah? We are going to remain mired in the realm of matter and space, or are we going to relate to our Creator in such a way as to exist eternally with Him in Shama'im? Historically, the second millennium of human history, consistent with Yahweh's creative witness, was punctuated with the ultimate story of water separating mankind from life and from God. Noah Noah, was called out and separated from the midst of evil men, living in a wooden ark of protection designed by God, while the waters rose and consumed those who chose the wrong side of this divide. If you want to live with Yahweh, you will have to trust him too. Noah listened intently to God, and then he acted engaging by doing what Yah had instructed. Funny thing, he didn't inquire what the rabbis had to say. And he and his family were spared, saved. And they endured as a result. It has always been a rather simple matter, a straightforward equation. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? The Almighty said, the Waters will be gathered from beneath the heavens directed towards one special place. Then he wanted to see the solid ground appear, exposing the surface of the earth. Therefore, it existed verifiable and correct. And God called out in an inviting and welcoming way to the surface of the earth as Eretz land. Then, regarding the accumulation and the beneficial expectation, of the gathering together of insights which can be derived by looking forward with confident anticipation and pondering the implications of this collection into a home suitable for living of the many phases of water he called seas. And God saw and considered that indeed it was beneficial and good. There is also more to Eretz, the Hebrew word for land, for earth, as in the ground, not the planet, region, realm, or territory. It addresses that which is firm and thus material, contrasting it with space and light energy during the initiation of the creative process and therefore uh, translated typically as, I think translated most accurately as material realm. Eretz is most often used to describe the land of Yisrael, which exists at this moment. The designation promised land is from Amar Eretz, meaning the land which is spoken about. It is therefore symbolic of Yehudim, Jews. The sea is symbolic of Goyim, including the Arabs. It is also interesting in God making distinction between energy and matter. That there is a sizable difference between the presentation in the Torah and Prophets versus the Quran. In the Torah and Prophets, we uh, the the sum nature of our value is in our nefesh soul, which is an inner energy-based entity. It has no mass and no matter. And that when we are, uh, when we transition as uh, someone, who has accepted the terms and conditions of the covenant, our nefesh soul is um, surrounded with, uh, infused with Yahweh's spiritual energy so that we are empowered and we're enriched and we're enlightened and we're enabled and we're emancipated. And as a spiritual being, then the universe becomes ours to explore. We become perfect and we become eternal. Unless you have this transition to energy and away from matter, you cannot be eternal. It's impossible. You could never get out of your own shadow. You can't leave our solar system if you're matter. Matter cannot be accelerated to anywhere close to the speed of light. And you need to exceed the speed of light if you're going to get anywhere in our, uh, and, uh, within our own galaxy, much less within the universe. Uh, And so light energy is the assistance of of going from being stuck in three dimensions as a physical being to being liberated in time and in space, becoming infinitely empowered and enriched. The Quran takes the opposite approach because, well, quite frankly, Allah is a dunderhead and Muhammad was as dumb as his stone in islam the the big threat is the day of doom, which is also called the day of resurrection so and Islam being resurrection is a terrible torment and an awful pain so they are Muslims are convinced that no matter when you died, that your body is going to be reconstituted and that you're going to be made physical again, and that if you are uh, a lefty, which would mean a Jew or Christian, that um, you're going to be tortured forever in a physical way. Your, your body is going to be perpetually burned. Uh, you will made to eat pitch. You'll drink boiling water. You'll eat thorns. This is your fate because they are physical torments. But Yahweh well, presents... Sheol is the place of separation. It's a dark abyss uh, of great pressure where light itself, spirits, can't escape. He's speaking of a black hole. There most certainly are no fires. There are no trees with thorns. There is no boiling water. There are none of these things. It is not a torture chamber. It is simply a place where souls, which are energy-based, are kept away from God's covenant children. And in Shamaim, the spiritual realm of God, uh, we as spirits uh, can enjoy life in the seventh dimension, but not in Islam. See, if you're, because of physical re- resurrection, which is an insane thought, in the spiritual realm, it's the carnal desires of uh, of Muhammad and Muslims, sex with little boys and uh, perpetual virgins, that... Uh, is the, uh, the thrill, because there are physical bodies. The problem of course with, with uh, resurrection, a physical bodily resurrection, is the moment our, our bodies die, the whole process of renewal stops. The body very rapidly reaches decay. If you were to go to one of these places where there has been a mass uh, event, either a natural tragedy or a, an event like Hamas perpetrated on Israel, within 24 hours of that time you you see the the workers wearing masks to mask the stench of it all our we bodies function. yeah our bodies stink to high heaven once they die and and the fact of the matter is it is worms and flies and and beetles that consume the flesh of the buried uh, and it happens very rapidly and they then are consumed by uh, birds and other creatures and they then give life to other creatures. And so the very bodies that, uh, that we have, I mean, sorry, it's a, it's a feast of death, if you will. Uh, it, it feeds the cycle of life. And so uh, you know, Aunt Jemima, who's passed away, could well be in, in my big toe. It's impossible to separate people over a period of time. And over a period of time, there's nothing left of the physical body to, uh, to be um, celebrated or to be destroyed. The fact of the matter is that, um, or punished, I should say, the fact of the matter is that bodily resurrection is a pagan religious concept. It makes absolutely no mm-hmm. sense scientifically. It's impossible scientifically, and it's seriously counterproductive. Man, yeah. I can tell you because I have a, <clears throat> an older body than I, I should probably talk about, and uh, it has aches and pains. My eyes don't work as well. Uh, my back gets sore. Uh, and I have physical pains. My knees don't operate as well as they used to. I am degrading physically. And uh, that is, just happens to be the, uh, the nature of things. And the thing I'm looking forward to is being liberated from this body. But the neatest thing of all about spiritual energy is that any moment in time, a spiritual being can convert whatever percentage of their Spiritual nature they wish into matter in any way they wish. E equals MC square. Matter is simply a form of energy, but much diminished. So, you want to go and explore a different planet and, uh, and one that has life that you want to enjoy? You can do it. And slow time down and experience the moment. Feel that planet sun on your face, uh, smell the, the wonderful things and touch that are there. And then, at any moment, you can leave and travel across the cosmos in the fraction of a second, which is the nature of energy. But it, the opposite is true with, with uh, physical bodies. That's why if you were to look at ancient uh, religions... One religion in particular, but all religions did this. Uh, when the king mm-hmm. died, they buried lots of things with the king that he was going to use in the afterlife. And Egypt, they spent enormous energy protecting and preparing the body of the pharaoh for the afterlife. And then provided all sorts of things for that pharaoh when he reconstituted his body in the afterlife to eat and to uh, to enjoy, for assessments, but yet we dig up their tombs and still wrapped inside the linen are their physical bodies. All of the things they left behind, wasted. Bodily resurrection is a myth that is central to the uh, Islamic religion. So we just talked about Eretz land. By contrast, Yamin, Seas, is, uh, is, uh, is, um, can either be uh, west and therefore symbolic of uh, Goyim, but Seas are almost always pointed towards the contrast between God's people and the Gentiles. And this distinction makes the fact that Yahweh's welcoming invitation to Eretz Uh, representing Jews as written in the imperfect conjugation and thus was ongoing throughout time, while his call to the Amim, indicating Gentiles, was in the perfect conjugation and thus more short-lived. Now this is an adroit declaration of what occurred on planet Earth at this time. Our world cooled well below the boiling point as volcanic activity began to wane. A more translucent atmosphere started to form uh, as a result of diminished plumes of volcanic ash, but also as a consequence of radically diminished asteroid bombardment. Water came to flow into the Earth's seas. These fortuitous conditions afforded an immediate opportunity for life, and life became almost immediately thereafter. Once again... Nothing was created on this particular day. One thing simply flowed from the other. The sequence Yahweh had laid out and uh, had uh, provided substance to, orderly and rational through this process, his words just continued to sound more like a scientific text than religious musings of primitive humans. God explained. Let the land produce plants and... The vegetation will grow verdant, uh, reproducing by spreading seeds, evolving and conceiving new growth through this genetic process of reproduction. In successive generations, trees producing the fruit of their species of living organism relative to the seed for its kind over the earth, and it became so through this sequence of events. It would have been, I'm sure, a beautiful thing to behold. Maybe in, uh, in a, another place in time, we'll be able to witness it. Dasha ha eretz Dashe, the land-producing plants, the vegetation growing, bringing forth the proliferation of life on earth with Eseb, shimmering glean, green plants, herbs and grasses glistening. They Zera Zera produced and reproduce by spreading seeds, dispersing them, and evolving peri throughout successive generations by being fruitful. The etz trees, asha, bore the men hue, the fruit of their species, of a living organism after their kind. This statement uh, in it, Yahweh revealed something most people do not fully appreciate. While well, conceiving life was an exceptional accomplishment, even more complicated than creating a universe in which it could thrive. Doing so in a way that life would be able to reproduce and proliferate was equally, if not more, challenging. It was something that got accomplished by inventing seeds, which would not only take root and produce in, uh, in soil and water, which would carry the unique genetic code with each species within them. It was a design element that would encourage reproduction that he could incorporate into his conception of animals through sperm, which is a seed. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, dashen, a derivative of dasha, means to anoint, symbolic of the Messiah Dode, and that of what happens to us when we're immersed in the set apart spirit. It is one of the most telling terms in the beloved's 23rd Psalm, a mismore we will celebrate uh, as we return one day to Volume 2 of Coming Home. The language of salvation continues to permeate every word of this revelation from living and anointing to being born anew from the first fruits harvest and being part of an extended family to being God's offspring, eternally existing and established because of what occurred through this sequence of events. God continues. Then the earth, as a result of this input, continually brought forth a shimmering and verdant variation of vegetation and plant life, dasha eseb, reproducing by spreading the seeds, zera zera, of their type and characteristic, evolving from a partitioning of the original gene pool, la mean hue. And the trees, the leafy plants with wooden trunks and branches, produce the fruit, which, to advance the beneficial aspects of this relationship, was their seed for the advancement of their species. And the Almighty saw that indeed it was good, productive and pleasing, suitable and desirable. And there was evening, the commingling and joining together of things, and there would be the morning, the beginning of a new day, the third day. The emergence of life, is only the second time the creator expressed satisfaction with his creation. He was also pleased with the onset of light, and indeed his light still leads to life. Yahweh's concluding comment on the benefit of having established the connections necessary for life to emerge and reproduce, proliferating around the world was rather understated, but nonetheless, he just said, life is good. Having completed the third day, Yahweh's most important creation was about to be manifest. He was a father, enjoying his relationship with his son. We have reached the dawn of the fourth millennium of human development. It is the year 1,750 million B.C.E., cosmologically at least. Spiritually, it this is the day that predicts the events which would unfold during man's fourth millennia. Yahweh's year 3,000 to 4,000, an epoch which corresponds to 968 B.C.E. to 33 C.E with Dode playing the starring role from the cornerstone of the home to the Lamb opening heaven's door. 968, by the way, to 33 CE actually represents a thousand years because the Roman Catholics were not thoughtful enough to include the year zero on their Gregorian calendar. (laughs) You go from 1 BCE to 1 CE, or to use their terms, BC, before their Christ, to AD, the year of our Lord. These guys couldn't get anything right. Oh, but cheers. And Muslims, so give them credit for that. (laughs) God said, expressing in words, there shall be lights," whose implications should be pondered. In the expanse of the heavens, to better understand the separation between the daylight, this time of reckoning where there is light, because it is distinct from the darkness of the night where there is limited light. For a time, they will exist as symbols, as signs, as nonverbal representations which make the approach more clearly known, providing indications advising one's consent when evaluating recompense and reward regarding the appointed meeting times of the Feast Wa-La-Moed, as well as for days when there is light and for years the cycle of the season's renewal of life and the measure of time. Maor, in this particular statement, encourages us to ponder the implications of light. Um, Differently, uh, uh, differentiating, I should say, it from the surrounding darkness. And just as the moon, planets, and stars represent tiny specks of light in the vast expanse of the night sky, in our world and throughout time, an infinitesimal percentage of people reflect Yah's light. And yet, without light, there is no life. And without darkness, there is no death. This makes it essential for us to be in, understand, the difference between them. When words like oath and moed are inadequately translated as signs and seasons, respectively, in most English Bibles, the profoundly important message contained in this particular statement is squandered. Accurately communicated, these two sentences convey that the Moed Mikre, the invitations to be called out and meet at designed and designated times of the eternal witness and renewing testimony can be known. They can be timed, they can be better understood through the distinction that is being made here regarding the fourth day between daylight and darkness. God is saying that on the fourth day, something transformative was going to occur between light and darkness and that if you go back and you look at the genealogies in the Torah what you find is that that Adam and Shawa were expelled from the garden exactly 4,000 years before this fourth day concluded and that 40 Yobel which is 2,000 years transpired from the expulsion from the garden to Abraham and Yeshak on Mount Morab, Moriah, going and meeting with Yahweh as a dress rehearsal for Pesach Passover, which Doed, exactly 40 Yobel thereafter in year 4000 Yah fulfilled in exactly that place on exactly that day. All of that is provided as the framework within Yahweh's creation account. And it's the very essence of, of time, of our redemption, of knowing what God is doing and with whom, when, why, and where. This reveals the very framework of time itself from beginning to end. This is why the fourth day commences. With Doed David, representing the cornerstone of the covenant home. It is when the 89th Mizmor was revealed to proclaim his role, not only in the covenant, but in the fulfillment of the Moed Mikrei. He is Yahweh's shepherd, and as his most brilliant son, he became the Messiah and King. Then this formative era concludes with Doed serving as the Pisachael, the Passover lamb the Masiach Messiah wrote the words at the dawn of this era that would be fulfilled during Chagmatzah, as the sun set in Jerusalem, the source of guidance regarding reconciliation, a city he himself founded. Therefore, let them exist for a time as sources of illumination in the expanse of the heavens to provide light upon the earth, and therefore it continued to exist like this thereafter, based upon what preceded it. God engaged to appoint for this particular task both of these substantial and empowering sources of illumination, with the older and more important, intense and distinguished luminary becoming prominent, clearly known as the influence over the daylight hours and the lesser and less significant, albeit more easily understood in the younger chronologically and diminished relationally, the abhorred becoming known and prominent in its influence over the the night, the darkness, along with heavenly or spiritual powers. The Almighty caused them to be placed there for this purpose, the expanse of the heavens, to provide light upon the land. Therefore, they will function as proverbs, with the daylight and the time of darkness providing a contrast to appreciate the differences between the light and to comprehend being separated from the darkness. God saw that it was indeed good, appropriate, productive, and beneficial. There was evening, the commingling and joining together of things, and there would be morning and the beginning of a new dawn, the fourth day. Separation, light and darkness, is essential to our relationship with Yahweh. There is nothing darker than Islam. There is nothing brighter than the covenant relationship. God is offering one, the adversary is advancing the other. Each of us has a choice between them. Yahweh's seven annual moed, his appointed meeting times regarding the restoring witness, are set using the sun and the moon. They are annual events whose days each year are established based upon the timing of the first and seventh months. The greater and lesser lights, therefore, enable us to meet with God on the appropriate days each year. Further, this was all incorporated into the discussion of the fourth day, because the first four Moed were fulfilled at the conclusion of the fourth millennium in human history, therefore in year 4000 YAH. 33 C.E. By the way, would you be following this story? There were 20 yobel from Adam and chawa's expulsion from the garden to Abraham and Yishak coming up with the covenant, confirming the covenant, which would allow us back in, and then 40 yobel, or 2,000 years, from that time to the time that God actually fulfilled the promise of providing the Passover lamb in 33 CE. What might be the year that is 40 O'bel from 33 CE if you were looking for the dates that the final Moed Mikre would be fulfilled? About 233. Yeah, about 233. That. That's uh, 10 years from now. Folks. That's <laughs> how much time you have left to get with the program. Ah, unless you're, yeah. of course celebrating the Shabbat by doing nothing. <laughs> Beyond this realization, Yahweh wants us to understand that life and death are determined based upon light and darkness. God enlightens us during the day, and Hasatan, the adversary, beguiles at night. In the absence of sufficient light, and in the time when there is no light at night, but that is sufficient making the ignorant more susceptible to being misled. That's the message God is conveying. In this regard, the adversary, Hasatan in Hebrew, as a fallen messenger, is still luminous, albeit an abhorrent and detestable opposition to the light. Acquisition, acquiescing to his authority and control leads mankind away from God and to the lifeless enclosure known as Sheol, hell. Um, this is the snake that slithered out of the garden to create Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and he is the snake that has brought us the Quran. It is interesting, however, that uh, the snake's approach in the garden, and he was a Karub. He was one of the Karub, Karabima, that was uh, stationed on the walls of, of Eden to keep uh, uh, animals on the outside, even humans on the outside Mm -hmm. at bay, so that life inside the garden would be peaceful and enjoyable. And um, when he slithered off that uh, wall, I'm not sure he slithered because he was a cherubim, so he could have blown right Mm -hmm. off the wall. He would have looked magnificent, I'm sure. I'm sure by even comparison to Adam, uh, when he showed up in in front of Chawa, that he was probably a handsome dude, Um, certainly enlightening uh, just by his presence. Uh, Yahweh makes a point and says, you know, he was the cleverest and craftiest of all things that Yahweh had made. And I keep that in mind, and I, and I, and I read the Quran. And I said, you know, Look. Satan, what happened to you? I mean, you had game back then. <laughs> hey, are, are, you, are you just trying to screw with people? I mean, clearly, really? you can do better than this. So, why are you being so dumb? I mean, is it just to prove to Yahweh that people really aren't worth a hoot and that you could fool them by coming right out in the open and saying, oh, by the way, I'm Satan. I want to enslave you. And if you don't agree, I'm going to torture you. And that you'll get people to believe that? It really is an enormous degradation from what the serpent did in the garden to what he musters in the Quran. Now if we consider the lives of the most enlightening men in human history, they would include Moshe, Moses, and of course Dod, David, the author of the Torah and the Psalms. However, only one of them is relevant at the conclusion of the third and fourth millennia, and that is Hamasiach Dod, the son of God, the king. Second, only in brilliance to Yahweh, he is the greatest luminary in human history when he did as foretold. matter of fact, in the 89th Mismore, Yahweh actually says that he will return Elion as God and that he will be as brilliant as the sun. Zod's exceptional. And by the way, when it says that he's going to return, he's going to be like the Almighty, that he'll be as brilliant as the sun, that's not to intimidate us. Because Dode is simply the firstborn of Bukurim, of firstborn yeah, children. Yeah, yeah every mm-hmm. member of the covenant gets the same benefit. We're going to be as brilliant as the sun. We're going to be as God. He is going to elevate us in dimensions from three to seven, each being an infinite increase in liberty and enlightenment and in empowerment and enrichment. So we, this is the promise that he is uh, offering us. Or, or you could wait for the day of doom and expect uh, your bones to be resurrected and then uh, fear uh, Allah to decide whether or not he wants to torture your britches, assuming that you have them on the rich. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, it'd be pretty gruesome, wouldn't it? It's kind of like Ezekiel's uh, The Valley of the, the Bones and for those who haven't uh, been with us for a long period of time, uh, Ezekiel is Satan's autobiography. If you really, really want to know what Satan's like, yeah, you want to see him, Satan on his game. Satan presents Satan. It's the book of Ezekiel. Uh, from beginning to end, it is Satan's uh, autobiography. It's an exceptional work from that perspective. In fact, there are two entire volumes of Yadayawa. Uh, devoted, um, I think venomous is one and abominable is, is the other, uh, to just exposing uh, Satan in the book of Ezekiel. Yeah. Now, reinforcing all that we've been talking about uh, is that upon the return and the restoration of, of Dode's kingdom in 2033, Yahweh says that you know Dode is going to be as brilliant as the sun. He's going to be as God. He is the most brilliant orator among men, the greatest thinker who has ever lived. And while these conclusions uh, may sound somewhat extreme to a listener if they haven't been with us for a period of time, uh, this is the central point of Yahweh's story. And when we read the Mismore, particularly as they are expanded and amplified and explained and coming home, uh, this is going to become obvious Adot is the, the living embodiment of the covenant of the Torah and of God's plans. Now, according to be, what can be deduced from the Torah and from relativity, the fifth day dawned uh, approximately 880 million years ago, given a month or two, and it closed 440 uh, million years uh, in our past. At this time, God's testimony reveals that animal life flourished. It began in the sea. Then God said, the waters to ponder as a source of life by design will literally and continually conceive innumerable abundance of creatures, creeping, wiggling, crawling, and swarming around with a proliferation of sea creatures from bacteria to fish, including insects, amphibians, and reptiles as living souls with consciousness, in addition to winged creatures which can fly above the earth before the presence of the expanse of space. So God created the proper environment and recipe for life and then gave his creation a free hand to evolve and grow, just as he has with us when it comes to engaging in a relationship with him. According to his testimony, life is formulatic, formulaic, calculated upon the composition of uh, energy and matter, formulated on day one. It was guided from there by language. And on this day, that language would be DNA, the programming code of life. Once these things were accomplished, nature, like man, was free to run its course. In this declaration, we learn that a nephesh soul, or consciousness, is not unique or distinctive to man. All animals have one, even insects. Now, Adam was also given a nasama, which is a conscience. Something we'll investigate in a moment. According to Yahweh, and corroborated by science, animals and insects were literally conceived in water. In our genesis, we are all alike, composed of the elements of the earth and born out of the seas. Even today, our bodies are 60% water as adults and 75% during the first six months <laughs> of life. Our brains are 80 to 85% water, and our kidneys, heart, lungs, and liver. Up to 75 percent water. Water enables cellular structure, function, metabolism, carries nutrients and oxygen to our cells while, facil- while facilitating biochemical reactions. It protects our, or protects, I should say, our sensitive tissues. It regulates our temperatures. It uh, it helps the. To facilitate waste removal, and it cushions our joints. Water okay. molecules not only surround the DNA as an ordered in an ordered fashion to support its characteristic double helix uh, conformation, but without being immersed in water, our cells would be incapable of following the careful and explicit instructions encoded by DNA. Now it should be noted that while consciousness is the determining factor between animal and plant life, there are no scientific studies designed to ascertain its nature. We recognize that it it exists and that it is fundamental to animal life, but we're clueless as to what it is, how it works, where it comes from, during any part of conception or where it goes after death. And yet Yahweh disclosed it openly, directly associating Nefesh consciousness with the emergence of animal life. However, unlike the Ruach spirit, a Nefesh soul is not inherently immortal. The word for life, Che, is interesting and that it is from Chaya, and thus bears the name of its author, Yah. Further, it differs by only one letter from Haya, which is the basis of Yahweh's name, which means to exist. With the 21st verse of Barashit Genesis, God uses bara, the Hebrew word for create again, a second time. It is only this uh, time where scientifically he is explaining the significance of the word following bara, which is, I think, hilarious. Uh, Large reptiles is what he said. Mm -hmm. Now, we know these large reptiles better by the Greek derivative dinosaurs. Um, Mm -hmm. Dinosaur means giant lizard or giant reptile and Greek. Spiritually, it was an admonition to be leery of serpents, God's metaphor for the snake who created Islam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thereby, God conceived and created something new and unheralded bara, such as the great dinosaurs and mighty monstrous reptiles along with all life with a soul, who move about for their benefit to proliferate from the waters according to their kind. And every winged creature which can fly according to its species, God saw that indeed it was appropriate, beautiful, and productive. Animals conceived during this day were all uh, by design God's bara caused something unique to occur, conceiving something that was unheralded. Intelligent life. Well, for some of us anyway. It was, having spent the last month of my life uh, rewriting Prophet of Doom and reading Allah and uh, Muhammad's sorry tale, there was a lot of intelligent life expressed therein. Anyway, it is uh, reflecting the imagination and inspiration of God to consider uh, bara. That's his creative genius. One of the reasons we know that gadol, uh, tanim, means giant reptiles or mighty lizards, and thus dinosaurs and not serpents, is because the common Hebrew word for snake is nakash. In his first miracle, one designed to bolster uh, Moshe's fledgling confidence, he tossed a staff to the ground and it turned into a nakash, a snake. But later, when Moshe appeared before Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, and they cast a, a rod before the agitated and arrogant dictator, it was transformed into a tanim, a fearsome reptile. Aligned with the adversary, pharaoh's sorcerers and religious charlatans performed a similar feat, with tanim, crocodiles, now menacing the stage. The Greek derive d- dinos, soros, uh, dinosaur, terrible lizard, and the Hebrew gadol tanim, mighty reptile, are therefore synonymous, although mm-hmm. Yahweh's depiction is uh, not a pejorative. There was nothing terrible about the Brontosaurus. If we may pause here a moment and ponder the implications, this is uh, actually pretty funny. For the better part of a century, paleontologists have uh, mocked creationists condemning their god for having failed to mention uh, beasts as prolific and majestic as dinosaurs. And yet, contemporaneous with uh, their creation. Yeah, I would name them the only species that has been named thus far.
0: Amazing.
1: God does have a sense of humor. You got to love him for that. Yeah. The, the reference to, uh, to men species on this day is constant with the, or consistent with the current biological science as well. And, What we perceive as new life forms actually represent a partitioning of the original gene pool, not a mutation. And that is because mutations lead to a loss of information rather than a gain. Yahweh was Mm -hmm. right, so was his creation. Darwin, at least as it relates to the subtle changes within species, was also correct. Further, all evidence suggests that animal life emerged from water consistent with Yahweh's 3,500-year-old witness. Mm -hmm. Mean defines a group of living organisms descended from similar species. It is a derivation of men, which means from, out of, or according to. The lone difference is the hand, the yod of Yahweh, between the waters, mem, and the seed of life, the nun. Talk about a word to, to convey this. I mean, it's three letters. You've got Yahweh's hand, this. you have the mem, mm-hmm. which explains that this is coming from water, and you've got the nun, which was drawn like a seed and a sperm, mm-hmm. designating yep. new life. That's the beauty of, uh, of the first version of written Hebrew. You can look at the shape of the letters, and they convey the meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. So it is a crime that, the evolution, uh, that evolution has been pitted against creation. Many aspects of evolution are true, especially in the sense that animals reproduce after their kind. But a duck and a beaver uh, uh, do not a uh, platypus uh, make. The fruit flies have uh, bred infinitum, you know, and they, they only have, what, a, uh, a, a day or so, some even hours of life. And so mm-hmm. all of that rapid reproducing uh, uh, has never once created a unicorn. <laughs> Countless of billions of trillions of attempts, a fruit fly has yet to conceive so much as a housefly much less a bee or a bird. Evolution from organic matter to plant life, from plants to bacteria, and from single-cell animals to lions, tigers, and bears is not remotely possible. What God described oh is. Now, <laughs> we're just in moments. We're going to stop uh, broadcasting. We are still uh, recording. We'll make our way through a little more of this material. But... Uh, obviously, today we're we're not going to get back into the Islamic comparisons, but that's okay, because I kind of like right. the idea of having another week go by, uh, so that because uh, I'm sure there's going to be some of my puns that would be more punnier uh, give a little more time to forget uh, exactly what was said, and we are going to go over that material again because uh, it not only is essential to mock uh, Islam uh, and to compare how feeble-minded the Islamic accounts are, even though they came 2,000 years after Yahweh's presentation. But they are greatly expanded to bring in large swaths of the Quran so that we can just see how bad a book this really is. And we're going to spend considerable time degrading the content of the Quran, degrading... um, Uh, Allah from a a wannabe God back down to the serpent in the garden and degrading Muhammad from being perceived as a prophet to being among the worst people who ever lived. And in so doing, we will make it more comfortable for God's people to lash out at the real cause of the problem. Um, The fact of the matter is that, that... the source of the pain created on October 7th of this year, not just over a month ago, is not Hamas. It's not It's Islam. And until God's people recognize that the source of their pain, of their anguish, is Islam, they will continue to make bad choices and lash out at symptoms. So continuing this, this is now Barashith, Genesis uh, 1.22. The Almighty adored and blessed that which was associated with them, saying, Be fruitful and flourish, thrive and multiply, uh, fill the waters (laughs) and the sea, and also let flying creatures become numerous upon the earth. So let it be known. Yahweh is obviously pro-life. That is uh, now uh, undeniable. We also know that Yahweh is clearly pro-choice. In Hebrew, has three different forms of volition, first, second, and third person. It's literally written into the grammar of the language. However, I didn't expect him to be so vocal about this aspect of his nature and and, and intent uh, this early on. And yet, after conveying numerous verbs in the of volitional mood as an expression of free will, and desire, he is immediately attributing the imperative mood which expresses volition in the second person. And he's talking about this relative to animal reproduction. And in fact, most animals choose their mates. It was an extraordinary time. There was Uh, And there was, with unfolding implications, evening, a period of darkness and commingling, joining together things, uh, leading to a discouraged state of foreign occupation and of an ignorant commingling and an adherence to faiths and beliefs. And there would be a morning, a time to be observant and judgmental, a time for consideration to respond appropriately, the fifth day. Barashith, in the beginning genesis, is an account that fits with the fossil record. Each of the 34 phyla, or basic body plans that comprise the full spectrum of animal life, all burst onto the scene in their entirety during the Cambrian explosion, which occurred 544 million years ago well within the Iowa's timeline of 880 to 440 million years BCV. Not a single new phylum has emerged since. These findings are completely incompatible with macroevolution of eons of time changing inorganic materials and minerals into humans is really profound. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of the 34 phyla or basic body plans of animals, which comprise the full spectrum of animal life, came to exist in a nanosecond in their entirety during this Cambrian explosion 544 million years ago and not a single new phylum has emerged since. Now six is the number of man who was created on the sixth day. The object of creation, humanity, was the last thing God formed. But before he got to us, the Creator offered this narrative on life. Next, God explained, let the earth proceed to bring forth living souls with unique characteristics, wild animals and reptiles as creatures capable of moving about and other life forms for the land from their different species. And it was so. It is the earth which is being productive, doing exactly what it was designed to accomplish, supporting life. The magnificence and dignity of life were now on display from fish and birds to reptiles and mammals. Then the Almighty engaged with the animals of the earth based upon their nature and type, including with the animals and wild animals, the mammals and wild animals, I should say, predicated on their distinguishing characteristics as well as with all of the reptiles that moved about on the ground approaching the various species. God saw, he witnessed, and considered that it was truly beneficial, appropriate, and good. God created all of this for his enjoyment. That is why we find him engaging in the process. He approached the animals he had created based upon their distinguishing characteristics. Having conceived DNA, Yahweh rearranged the letters such that they would result in wondrous variations of size, of shape, and color. It was indeed beautiful. God not only celebrated life at this moment, what's the first thing we hear him doing with uh, Adam? He brought all the various forms of life before Adam and let him choose how he was going to relate to them. This is the third time that Yahweh has affirmed that his status as the only creator, but also as a witness to creation, this is important because the 14 billion year timeline from beginning to end is predicated upon his relative proximity to creation, i.e., he was not only the creator, he was there Mm. as a witness. Cosmologically, the sixth day begins, as we shared, 440 million years ago, and it, unlike the other epochs of time, has yet to conclude. We're still living in the sixth day. I say this because the seventh day, the millennial Shabbat celebration, does not commence until the Mikra of sukkah, of shelters, in the fall of year 2033. So we are still living in this era. Scientifically, we know that this was the time that mammals were first conceived, around 200 million years ago. The first Homo sapiens walked the earth a scant 600,000 years before us. Throughout this creative process, Yahweh has used language to conceive, influence, and communicate. Words are the medium of thought and of creativity. Language is the means to enlightenment and to build a relationship. The word is how Yahweh communicates with us, how he reveals himself to us. And in light of that, we'll consider what comes next. But understand, words are how we perceive God. It is how Mm -hmm. God introduces himself to us. It is how God makes it possible for us to become part of his family. Words are the ultimate seed of life. Just as DNA is a language, Hebrew exists to introduce us to Yahweh. Then the Almighty said, we are genuinely going to engage to bring about Adam, a man, in our image and our example as if he were a blueprint of ourselves and patterned after us and let him demonstrate his influence with the fish of the sea and with the birds of the air, as well with the wild animals, all within the entire realm, with every creature that moves about on the ground. Genesis 126. Now, Yahweh said we rather than mm-hmm. I, because God is our heavenly father the Rishith, the head of the family. And as we know based upon his declaration during day one, God's feminine nature was represented by the Ruach Kodesh, <laughs> or the set apart spirit, who serves as our spiritual mother. She is responsible for our spiritual birth. She purifies us, then adorns us in a garment of light. Just as Yahweh's parental nature had worked harmoniously in creating the universe, it would naturally engage together with his feminine aspect to conceive life. And Mm -hmm. in fact, Yahweh in Hebrew Mm -hmm. is a feminine name. Yes. Ruach, set-apart spirit, is our spiritual mother. That's feminine as well. And so God says, our, so that we would understand that man does not stand alone. Men and women who come together as mother and father to create, conceive children, build a home, raise our sons and daughters, which is symbolic of what Yahweh is achieving with his covenant family. We were literally conceived to model the ultimate result, the purpose of life. Asha means to act and to engage. Yahweh uses it throughout his testimony to describe his interactions with humankind throughout the covenant. Uh, Relationships are only meaningful when both parties engage. And here we find God doing his part. The Hebrew grammar is telling too, with the call and imperfect revealing that this relationship would be genuine and enduring. All other life forms were described as either dasha, sprouting, shooting, forth greenery, being productive, living and growing, bara, being created and shaped, causing something new to happen, or yatsa, che nefesh, proceeding forth via the delivery of a living soul. But not this time. By using a saw, which conveys the idea of actually doing the work necessary to accomplish the required task, engaging together, Yahweh would be forming mankind out of existing materials. Barah says, I'm going to create something new uh, out of that which didn't previously exist. But Asha means, I'm going to work together. I'm going to engage together. This is to suggest that Adam was not the first human, but instead the first man with whom God, Asha, engaged.
0: Hmm. We were
1: conceived for this purpose. We were designed to Asha, to act upon and engage in a genuine and continual relationships with our creator. And now we know that God (laughs) initiated first contact. To facilitate this end and... Unlike all other life forms, we were given free will. We were also given a conscience to exercise it properly. This is the basis of choice and a requirement for love. It also means that man is held responsible for his decisions. Adam is one of many Hebrew words for mankind. Others include ish, which is masculine singular for individual, enosh, which speaks of our mortality and gibor, of our potential, as a man who is strong, moral, and can be an influential leader. Therefore, by using Adam, God is addressing this specific man and his descendants. Reinforcing this point, Adam is, the, is always a specific it is typically preceded by the definite article, ha, the, mm-hmm. suggesting that it was a title. This was one of the few exceptions where Adam was not prefixed by ha, and that is perhaps because it was intended this time as a name. This is a subtle way of telling us that Adam was a specific individual, a unique creation. That is important because the scientific and prophetic evidence confirms that Adam wasn't the only human. So we need to pay close attention to ascertain what made this particular man unique, different from all others. And indeed, the answer is his Nasalma. Tislam appears 16 times in the Torah and Prophets. Five of those say that God created man in his image. It is most often used to represent a two- or three-dimensional painted or sculptured representation of something. Just as our shadow is a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional body cast by the source of the light, we are 3D shadows of our 7D God interesting so God conceived and created designed and fashioned Adam the man for association in his image and pattern in the image of the almighty he created him as a male child to remember a son worth mentioning as a female as a woman he brought them into existence to be together God is presenting us in the image of his covenant family. And the covenant will become the dominant theme of Rishit, the first book of the Torah. It is indeed the purpose of creation. We model it. Since God, was, God created humankind in his image with both masculine and feminine natures, It means that Yahweh manifests a paternal and maternal persona. In the context of the covenant family, God is our Heavenly Father and our spiritual Mother. It is the aforementioned Ruach Kodesh, set-apart spirit, that plays the more nurturing role. In this regard, Yahweh, with the Ah ending, as I've shared, is a feminine name. What comes next is a uh, surprise. By the way, it, it's not designed to be, you know, sexual in terms of a feminine name. You know why that there's the ah ending in Yahweh's name? A- the reason uh, Yahweh's name is written as it is. It's the hand, the first letter of the Yod, reaching down and out to us. The father would reach uh, down and out to his children to lift us up. Then there are two people standing in his name. They are on either side of the wall, which is a tent peg, which is to secure and to protect a home. Those two people are Abraham and Sarah. Sure. And that's why Yahweh's name ends as it does. They are the mother and father of the covenant. Yahweh's name literally embraces the very covenant family that he desired to conceive with us. Wow. Therefore, God knelt yep. down in love to lift up, saying to them, be productive, be industrious, para, and grow, becoming increasingly great, enlarged, and boundless. Choose to be satisfied and to prosper, living a fulfilling life within the material realm. You can even overcome it. And let him choose to demonstrate his influence, with the fish of the sea and with the birds of the air as well as with the wild animals all within the entire realm with every creature which moves about on the ground. The primary meaning of Barak is to kneel down in adoration, to greet, to lift up, to bless. It is the first thing God did after creating Adam and it speaks volumes about his nature, his character, and especially his purpose. Yahweh is willing to come down to our level to relate to us, just as the father chooses to get down on his knees to look his children in the eyes. This is the essential difference between Yahweh and Allah. Para and Rabbah demonstrate Yahweh's in, intent for the covenant children. He wants us to reciprocate his love because when we do, not only does God's family grow, we individually increase, becoming more than we are. We become enlarged, growing from three dimensions to at least four, and I suspect seven. By being reborn from above in his spirit, we become like God and yet another way. We become eternal. Similarly, Mali speaks of living a fulfilling life and being satisfied by the choices we make. Spiritually, the lesson of the sixth day is reflected in Yahweh's selection of words. Adam was made like God, so the model for his love has been established. This day, therefore, provides the insights which underlie the fifth instruction, since God has revealed that he has masculine and feminine characteristics, making Yahweh the father and mother we should value if we want our days to be prolonged. Historically, man's sixth millennia dawned almost (laughs) as horribly as it will uh, conclude. It started out with the Catholic Crusades and the Inquisition. And it will end in a world war ignited by Muslims. Scientifically, Yahweh's testimony regarding this day is consistent with the evidence. This is when animals first tread the earth. Man is an animal, one who arrived very late on the scene. The earth held so much promise, as did man. Then God said, behold, look up and pay attention to this part of the narrative I have provided for you and given to you every plant yielding seeds, all vegetation capable of reproducing and propagating the species, which for the enjoyment of the relationship appears on the surface of the entire realm along with every one of the trees which beneficially has fruit on the tree to sow its seeds, it shall continually exist for you to consider as food. And regarding every living creature in the realm, as well as every bird of the sky and all else that moves about on the ground which, with which is a living consciousness, including all have been healthy vegetation and green plants, they can be considered edible. And it occurred as such. Almighty God witnessed and recognized, observed and perceived everything to reveal the way to the joyous relationship and to get the most out of life, which could be beheld. (laughs) And it was exceedingly good tremendously pleasing, abundantly productive, and highly entertaining. With unfolding implications over time, that was evening, a blending together of things, a nighttime of discouragement of foreign occupation, an era of ignorant commingling and adherence to faiths. And there would be a morning, a dawning of a new day, a time to be observant, perceptive, and judgmental the sixth of the day. Wow. Well, that's creation from God's point of view. It's a marvelous story, isn't it? Uh, I'm stunned. I mean, I've read
0: it three times now.
1: This is like, wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love I'm it. Uh, it's uh, translated
1: it, here. Beautifully done. It, yeah. It brings our attention to God's design, his character, mm-hmm. his purpose. For life it's a marvelous scientific explanation of of, uh, of how and when and where and the universe was created but far more than that it's a why from beginning to end it tells us why yeah uh, that uh, Yahweh created and it, it is to have a relationship with us we are indeed fortunate the creator of the universe wants to know us he finds us entertaining and <laughs> He wants to do for us something really yeah. wonderful, which is to elevate our existence, to empower us, to enrich us, um, to allow us to celebrate life with him. And this is just the opposite of, uh, of Islam. It's just such a wonderful way to set the stage, because yeah, uh, you know, uh, Allah, what he wants to do is enslave. He constantly speaks of Muslims being his slaves. A Muslim means one who submits, who surrenders. Islam means submission. It is, uh, uh, Allah is very clear. He makes all decisions. There is no free will. Everyone's fate is predetermined. And his preoccupation is with torturing people. He never actually enhances anyone. His best thing that he can offer is a decadent reward. One of the problems with Allah, of course, is that he's impotent. Allah has never done anything. He never will do anything. He can't do anything. He's completely impotent. If it weren't for beguiling, bribing actually, young men to kill for him with the promise of virgins in paradise, Allah wouldn't have made any influence on anybody at any time. The whole reason that yeah, that Allah finds the need to plagiarize the Torah is because he's got nothing else. He's got no creation. No, nothing. didn't create anything, can't do anything, can't perform a, a miracle, can't uh, offer a prophecy. He's got nothing. The whole thing is this cosmic threat. Yeah, if you don't surrender to me, I'm going to burn your britches. You just wait. I may not do it now, but I want to burn your britches. Trust me on this. You're going to hell. I'm going to torture you. Amen. I mean, it's. I guess it's. It's tall cotton for a snake, but. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we will return to the. Uh, the Islamic account next week, I am going to go over some, uh, some uh, previous material. I'd say probably 80% of what we're going to share next week will be new. Um, and this is chapter five to put this in perspective. Um, sometime tomorrow, I hope to finish chapter 11. And these are not just short chapters where this is in uh, the new book is uh, around page 180 something, I believe. And, uh, uh the 11th uh, chapter concludes at 645. Uh, so there's a lot of material here. And, boy, it just gets more and more interesting as, as Allah stumbles on his uh, on his fangs and trips on his uh, flittering tongue every possible way. I mean, I guess a snake can't trip over his own two feet, so we're having to no. to come up with other metaphors. But sheesh, it's just... At one point, I just said, "Come on! I mean, what happened to that uh, um, beguiling creature in the garden? I mean, he had game. What happened to the inspiration behind Ezekiel? Because it's at least a fascinating story. But he gets to the Quran, and it's just one dunderhead, stupid statement after the next. And Allah's pathetic." Uh, oh, oh, for sure. So anyway, we'll, we'll have some serious fun with it. It's the uh, only thing you can do is to mock it. And by the way, we were I'm, you know, for anybody that doesn't like sarcasm, um, the two things I would have to say is one is the never-ending argument in the Quran says that everybody, without exception, that knew Muhammad, that lived during his time, that got to know him personally, mocked him. Without yeah. exception, there isn't a single person in the Quran who says, hey, man, that's our guy. He is really sharp. We, we really trust him. No, the whole thing <laughs> is everybody that knew him laughed at it. So we're not the first to mock uh, uh, Muhammad. And the second is that Yahweh's made it really clear. They, one of the two, the two last witnesses has a name. His name is El-Yah. Uh yah is returning uh, on, uh, on Pesach Passover. And uh, 2030, uh, year uh, 5997-Yah. And the reason that el was chosen, because el unlike, you know, uh, prophets like uh, Irma yah or uh, Yashaya, even Hosha, uh, certainly, you know, Dode, Moshe, uh, we don't have a word that he wrote with his own hand. He is not a, uh, even a minor prophet in the, the sense of Chaba'uk, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he has is game. And Yahweh appreciates game. Elia has wit. He, he has wicked uh, sarcasm. He cuts right to the chase. He doesn't give the political or the religious an inch. He just <laughs> absolutely cuts them to the core. And right. he's hilarious. He's entertaining doing it. And so Yahweh's going to say, listen, it's going to get really dark out there, particularly for just... I mean, it's, the time of Yakut's trouble, the next 10 years, this is a tough time for Jews. It is, uh, there is no winning. It's, it's a whole series of, of, uh, of horrible events. And what Yah is saying is, if we're going to have to endure that, the least we could do is find some humor in it all. And to have to explain the dark nature of Islam, the least I can do is to keep you entertained. And... So I'm doing my best to uh, to bring on the the snark of uh, of Elia, because that is what God uh, wants. And there were times, a couple of times this week, where I just said, you know, I think I'm running out of snark. It's just I don't, how many, how much more of this? And I and then Allah says something. and said, well, he is a veritable snark. Kitchen. You know, there's just no end. <laughs> Um. To what you can say to mock him uh so it is uh, you know the old uh, prophet of doom had two or three funny lines in it that you that uh, I always enjoyed uh goddamn yeah. religion <laughs> goddamn religion is the uh is the comedian's uh, full employment act so
0: snark factory.
1: It's, <laughs> yeah it it's a snark factory so <laughs> If you like sarcasm, we'll have some fun uh, over at all the events, of course. Uh, but, you know, what the heck, he's just a fangless uh, snake uh, over the next uh, few months. And we're doing this all for one reason. I've mentioned it before. We're doing this because of what uh, Muslims did to Israel on October 7th of uh, this okay. year. They need to be held accountable. We're doing this because the way the world responded to condemn Jews... And to blame them for what was done to them. And it was the most hideous, heinous exploitation of what it means to be a district that the world had witnessed in a thousand years. So I want God's people to know why this happened to them and what they can do to protect themselves. So. That is why we're uh, returning to Goddamn Religion, and as I say, Volume 1 will be uh, completed uh, probably tomorrow. Um, the team has, uh, um, has done most of the editing. I'll enter the edits probably uh, late tomorrow, the following day, and uh, then uh, David should be able to get it up early next week, and we'll send it off to print. So that's be the first of the four volumes of Goddamn Religion and we're well on our way to a really compelling rewrite.
0: Good <laughs> job.
1: the best 16 years of my life just being part of this. Thank you. Yeah, who would have thought that it would come full circle right back to... Uh, Probably to, do, yeah. to film yeah. ...after all this That's, time. Yeah. And, and the difference is just so dramatic in terms of what we know now versus what oh, yeah. I knew 20 years mm-hmm. ago. Um, Love me. And I did the best I could. I, you know, I think it, it, it Prophet of Doom still stands as the best, uh, most uh, effective book ever written to expose and condemn the true nature of, of Islam. And the things I said about Islam were all true. Uh, but uh, I left probably 90% of the uh, material uh, unsaid. And um, it's part of living and learning. You uh, grow with Yah. Mm-hmm you gain an insight as to who he is and, and who the adversary is and yes. what he's trying to accomplish. And that's why uh, this book has expanded to the extent that it has. The insights are much more profound. Yeah. Well, thank Thanks you for me. listening. It was my pleasure it's, uh, to go over this with you. This was a uh, a present to uh, Kirk uh, uh, from Kirk. He was the one that said, please read this. Um, tonight, share it. It is such a cogent explanation of creation, and it was nice mm-hmm. to be able to spend the, the evening with Yahweh uh, here on the Shabbat, and, uh, and we'll return um, to condemn Islam next week. So, right. thank you all for listening. Uh, have a wonderful uh, Shabbat, and may Yah bless all. Good night. Happy Shabbat. night.
0: Thank you.